this morning and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. I probably hadn't sung that song in 20 years and the last week I've just been singing it all during the week and I said, Ben, would you mind playing that for me? So he played two extra songs, so we got to buy him a sandwich this week. Thank him for it. Ruth chapter 1. I think you could just write that over any of our lives and it would just about tell the stories. We'd have to tell the details, but it would tell the story. Jesus saves. Saves me from my sins. Saved me from my past. Saved me from my choices. Saved me from my, my uh, heritage. Saved me from my idiosyncrasies, my insecurities, my weaknesses, my sinful proclivities. He, Jesus saves. Ruth chapter 1 beginning with verse 6. If you missed last week, we spoke about verses 1 through 5, about Elimelech who took his family, Naomi, his sons, uh, Chilion and Kilian, I believe, I don't have it in front of me, out of the land of Bethlehem, Judah, into the land of Moab. He left the house of bread because there was a famine. He went into Moab, which was God's wash pot because it solved a temporary problem. Be careful that you don't lose spiritual riches over temporary solutions. And we found that it was not the famine that killed him. The thing he ran from didn't kill him. It was his choices that killed him. And now we find ourselves at the end of that part. And it's in the same chapter, but it starts a new chapter within the chapter, if you will. Then, after what? The death of her husband, the ten years that passed, the death of her sons... Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again or by bringing them bread. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you and to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord has raised his fist against me. And they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said, Orpah has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or forsake you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. 
Naomi, is it really you? The women asked. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For God has made, or the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. And they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And if you'll turn to one more scripture, and I'll let you be seated this morning. Hebrews 12, 15. If you're there, say amen. If you're looking, say amen. Hebrews 12, 15. Make sure that you look diligently. Watch diligently. Monitor yourself. Lest any of you fail of the grace of God. You come short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up inside of you, trouble you, and defile others. Be careful. Watch over yourself. Make sure you don't fall short of the grace of God. Lest there be any root of bitterness. Watch for bitterness. It comes up like a small root. But it grows up, troubles you. Literally ends up destroying you and defiling other people. Infecting other people. Affecting other people. In this series, By God's Grace, we're just going to take one word for each message. Last week it was kingship. The Lord is my king. And this week I want to speak to you on the subject of bitterness. We've all been there. Some still live there. And we don't have to because we're free. Father, I just humble myself before you. At best, you know this to be true. I'm an unprofitable servant at best. But you called me. And you would not put me in a position like this and not equip me and anoint me and strengthen me to bring forth that which your intentions and purposes have decreed. So I pray today, Lord, that you would use me. Whatever it takes, use me for your glory and let this word go forth in power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if the air cuts back on later, we'll be okay. Um, I just want to, I just want to address something because some of y'all, this is not you, but some of you complain no matter what season it is. And you're all, already, already, it's cold. It was 1,206 degrees this summer. I lost two Backstreet Boys in August. I just, just lost that much weight. Wear a jacket, a shawl, a comforter. I, well, this is cute. Don't be cute, be warm. Uh, us, us larger people stepped outside and we go, God turned on the air conditioning. Only to have you steal our joy. Oh, it's the cold. It's in my bones. It ain't cold. It's cool. Just, thank you. That's all. Help us. Can't wait for spring. Oh, it's cold. It's cold. It's cold. Spring comes. And the pollen is killing me. There's just so much pollen. Then the pollen goes away. Now it's hot. Now it's, you know, just... Live where yet, baby. Uh, okay. All right. 
Last week we talked about a man that did not live up to his name. God is my king. We talked about the type of Christian whose life, choices, actions, and directions contradict what other people call them. This week we're going to talk about a woman, a type of person who wants to change their name, who is willing to change their name. If you'll give me just a moment, I want to just kind of set the, 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 the foundation for it. I only at two points in the sermon, but the introduction is very important. Naomi means, her name means, pleasant, glowing, lightness, like joy. Uh, you would say they light up the room. Being a parent now, I understand that though some just pick any name, you know, name the baby Lamangelo and Arangelo, you know, for, or whatever, Lemangelo, Orange Yellow, it don't matter to them. But others look at their children and go, this one just, there's something about their countenance. There's something about the child. You know, Kelly and I prayed, we did the Google search and all for our kids' names. And then Kelly said, give me your hand. She goes, God, what do you call them? What, what do you want to call our babies? And we thought for uh, Isabel, the type of Elizabeth, the promise of God, God's promise for children. And Olivia, a, a derivative of olive, is an olive branch. And we felt it was God's promise of peace for our home. So the name was significant. So these parents looked at this child and said, she's bright. Not just intellectual, but she's, she's glowing. So see this as that which God has deposited in you. And life has a way of whittling it away, diluting it, polluting it. And we, we see it from the temporal standpoint alone, but it's more than that. We are to be living out God's intentions and purposes in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. But life is horribly difficult. The Bible says, as, as sparks fly upward, so is man born under trouble. The world would say it this way. Several decades ago, a bumper sticker came out, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny or crass. It said, life is a bitch, and then you die. That's their way of saying, you just give in to cynicism. You give in to resentment, and you just navigate it. Watch. Live for the weekend. So hate the five days. Numb yourself on the evening of the fifth day. Stay intoxicated, altered, Saturday and Sunday recoup just a little bit so you can survive the work week again. And in the church, we don't do that. We just say, live to Sunday, put a band-aid on it, and lose what God's put in your heart. Wounds can happen in a moment. A betrayal, an abandonment, an abuse, an unfaithfulness, a cruelty. But bitterness happens over time. It's progressive. Bitterness is like the accumulation of relational, physical acid, if you will. It's acidic. It shows up in our words. It shows up in our countenance. It shows up in our perspectives. It shows up in our priorities. 
And here's a woman who had been called radiant her whole life. And she says now, she, she used the name from Moses, bitter waters, you know, Mara, the water's bitter. My fountain is polluted. Now, well, Brother John, you've always taught us to be honest. Well, what if someone else polluted this fountain? What if the betrayal or the abandonment? or What if, what if something happened to me that polluted this waters? That, these waters? That's not your fault. What's your fault is when you are willing to be defined by that and allow that to be your new normal. How is it that we, we can believe God to heal every, or to forgive every sin, to open every door, to provide every meal and not heal every root of bitterness? Because we're addicted to pain. We're addicted to sympathy. I remember, and many of you walked this journey with me many years ago. It's been 14 years ago now. 15 maybe. Um, if I did anything right, I let you love on me. But although I might have been victimized, I'm not a victim. There is more to me than what happened to me. And if I started to drink at the elixir of your pity, I would then be addicted to that. See, when, when you become addicted to pity and that new identity, uh, you have to have it. You have to, oh, how are you? How are you? Well, you know, it gets to be a rut. And I'm not minimizing our tragedies. If you let Every other person on, the, on your road take the mic and tell you what poisoned their waters. Your jaw would drop. How can one person survive it? How can one person still have the capacity to love and be loved, to, have, to be enjoyed and to enjoy others? How can one person have that and the other person sink in it? By trickery. Deception. That they can't walk out and walk away. And that God's not working. Number one, if you're taking notes, we want to talk about the forces that were at play. The ingredients that led to her bitterness. I'll tell you this about Naomi. She wasn't neurotic. She wasn't making it up. Life did a number on her. First of all, she had experienced great pressure, great lack. It says in verse 1 that there was a severe famine in the land. We talked about being hungry. Uh, when you don't have the things that you need, when you don't have the things that you want, when life is difficult, perpetually difficult, there's a pressure that's upon us. And listen, as believers, giving up can wear you out. But trying to be the healer can wear you out too. Trying to be the one that I pull myself up by my bootstraps. One of the greatest things ever happened to me is both my bootstraps broke. That's one of the greatest things. And you might think I'm being funny or cliche. I know that I am a limited resource, but my father is an unlimited resource. And when I have great pressure upon me, I am not designed for outward pressure. 
I'm designed for inward peace. And I cast all my cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for me. Pressure will bust pipes. And if all you do, if, if you're a, let's say you're a two liter bottle. Let's get the cheap cola, the dollar store cola. You get three liters for a dollar. That ought to tell you something right there. Three liters for a dollar. And let's say you get up in the morning and you shake it up all day long. And then you come home and you, you're going you're gonna to help it. You're going to let it out slowly. What happens? It goes everywhere. Well, what if your husband comes in and just takes the lid off? Hey, baby, how was your day? Or vice versa. We have to come up with something. We have to come up with a union so deep and so profound with Christ that the shaking doesn't produce the fizz like it did. Because the shaking and the pressure is going to be there. But we have to have a release all during the day, like a pinhole, if you will, or something that lets that pressure go. Every time they, it shakes, I turn it over to the Lord. Every time it shakes, I turn it over. He said, I will keep you in perfect peace, those of you whose mind has stayed on me. She experienced great change, not just great pressure, but great change, great upheaval. Elimelech took his wife and sons from Bethlehem and moved to Moab. She, he picked the family up and moved them away from the familiar, away from family, away from friends, away from routine, and took them to a land where she knew no one and no one knew them. So all she had was, watch this, all she had was her husband and her sons and she lost them. Upheaval has a way of breaking down the person. When, when nothing is stable, and you know, with all of this that's gone on with the virus and all this other upheaval, if you could see the mental and emotional toil that it's taking on people, the uncertainty, the upheaval, the, 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 not just the changes, but the continued, perpetual, miss, dis, and incomplete information that goes with it. Just upheaval of all in society. Her silence was a part of her bitterness. All right, ladies, don't be mad at me. This is going to be funny, I promise. Yeah. Even if your wife, sir, is peaceable, gracious, submitted as you love her as Christ loves the church, that's the precursor to submission. If you're doing something to harm her or her babies, she's going to have an opinion. Is that mild enough? Okay. Show me one spiritual woman that is not going to say something when her husband says, okay, times are tough. We're leaving the land of God. We're leaving the people of God. And we're leaving the promise of God to go to a nation that will offer us bread. And this nation... God views it as his wash pot, and they murder, burn, and lance living children sacrificed to a God named Molech. Hand goes on the hip. She goes, I don't know what you're going to do. But as for me and my family, listen, I'm going to follow you. I'm submitted to you, but I'm not going to follow you to destruction. Do you know what led to her bitterness? 
She didn't stand up to those people that would harm her. That would push her away from God. That would harm, harm her children. Sometimes our own silence. Yes, every woman wants a man worthy to be followed. And yes, every woman wants a man uh, that lives uh, in a way that she could follow him. And every man wants a submitted wife. But I also want one that will stand up and say, we ain't doing that to our children. That show ain't coming into our house. Amen, someone? That, that, that ain't playing in this house. That ain't, Kelly's our filter. We don't even need filters. Kelly goes, let me see that. She'll watch through the whole thing and she'll go, nope, 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 nope. Our kids, you know, you get Disney, whatever, and you can watch three things out of 230, you know. <laughs> Y'all stay with me. Look at this. She had great loss. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. The longer I live, my battle is not with sins of the flesh. My battle is cynicism. Life isn't what it promised. My body's failing me. Don't say my mind. My eyes are failing me. My ears are failing. What do you mean your ears are failing you? Kelly said something. You're hard of hearing. I said, I'm not losing my hair. I'm, just, I'm not, you know... <laughs> But she buried her husband and she buried her children. I have a hard time relating to people that haven't buried something. Who have a naive optimism that borders, uh, that is based upon a lack of experience. And they've never felt crushing loss or great betrayal or great pain. Listen, the... And I, I, I refer to my sister every now and then just because she's so expressive. My sister Amanda, and she's the one down here on the front row with me. Listen, I love that I'm on the row with her where she worships. You don't know the great joy that she's expressing comes from pain that you have never dreamed of. And God healed her. And she's now for the first time in her life experiencing that freedom. And some of you that are chained up might have an opinion about that. And you need to revisit that and rework it. Because the only difference between her expression and yours is gratitude. Well, I was going to back up on out of that and hit this. <laughs> but great pain. Great pain does not just cause great voids. But great voids create great capacity for joy. Great voids. It's the people that have lost the most that appreciate what they have. Don't keep your mouth off of me in the sunshine. You weren't there in my darkness. You, you weren't there when I wept all night long. You weren't there when I, I saw no light. And when the light finally started to break, there was joy in my heart. She buried her husband. She buried her babies. But that acid started to develop in her loneliness. She had great responsibility. It led to bitterness. Well, John, all of us have responsibility. No, not like hers. In her day, a widow could not be employed. Women were not employable. Geographically and historically, they were one nut notch 
above bought slaves. So here you are with your two daughters-in-law or with your two sons for 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. And she was unemployable. But she's got to provide for her family. She has to provide for her boys. Her boys went to work. There's that, well, I wish I could do more. Have you ever felt like you had more responsibility than you had opportunity? And it just wore on her. And I, I'm, I'm knitting, I'm weaving something together here. Knitting's not a good man term. I'm weaving something together here that uh, I want to bring to a point here in just a moment, I promise. Great responsibility. Great erosion. It says, then 10 years later, 10 years of what? No relationship, no, no spouse to share life with, no intimate touch, no someone to sit across the table and say, how was your day? No one to, re you know, for those of you that have buried a spouse, people don't understand. No one to talk the memories over with because you're the only one that remembers them. 10 years of dancing with other people while you're dying inside. I remember before God granted my wife and I babies and Kelly just prayed and fasted and longed for children. One of the hardest things for her to do, and she was balanced, she knew, is when they invited her to the baby showers. And she would come with her gift and she would write out the card and she truly, it was not fake, she would dance with them and celebrate them and cry all the way home. Erosion. Sometimes it's the time after the pain that erodes the shoreline of our, our strength and our joy and our peace. And then this is the big one for me. Great compounding. It said, and 10 years later, Malon and Killian died. Sometimes it's not the size of the thing. It's cumulative stress. Cumulative stress that breaks us. It's not just the spouse that cheated or the spouse that died. It's not just the child that went crazy. It's not just the physical pain. But it's one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. Physical disappointment, relational disappointment, emotional disappointment, spiritual disappointment. Dun, 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 dun. And it's the smallest thing that just breaks them and the bitterness is evident for everyone to see. Do you remember the story of Elijah when he called fire down out of heaven? Do you remember that? There were 850 Baalite prophets with these daggers dancing around trying to call fire down because whoever called fire down, whichever God answered by fire, that was to be God. And they were cutting themselves and lancing themselves and the blood was flowing everywhere and Elijah was, Elijah was mocking them. Elijah was bad. If you ever want to do a study, study Elijah. He, him, him and Paul, they were bad. Elijah said, hey! <laughs> Smack talk originated in 1 Kings. He said, hey! What's the matter? And you can look it up. In the original Hebrew, this is exactly what it means. I'm paraphrasing. it. Yo, God, sleep? All day long, they're cutting themselves. He goes, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what it says. You might read King Jimmy, but is he indisposed? Is he busy? And mocking him. No fear. Comes his turn. He goes, get out of the way. God, as you told me, send the fire. And fire comes, laps up the altar, the stones 
the stones, consumes the sacrifice. I believe in his mind he thought, that's it. The brook Cherith, the widow at Zarephath, all the hiding, the hatred of the king. Now God has been vindicated in Israel that they may know that there's a God in Israel. Things are going to change. And one more disappointment. That wicked woman Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, may the gods do to me more than what you did to the prophets if you're not a dead man. And he fled for his life. I just, I just propose this to you. Here's a man that's not afraid of 850 men with knives. Not one guy with a knife. If Chris come at me with a knife, I'd be like, all right, you don't, no, don't, don't, you know, just, don't make me come out of retirement. You know. But one with a knife, you back up. 850, get the context. 850, he's not afraid at all. One woman's threat, who's she going to send? 850 people? What would make a man live contradictory to how he lived the day before? Cumulative stress. Cumulative stress. Naomi had had enough. Her tank was full. She could not handle any more. Just like if it's too hot in a building, a preacher can't. He, he needs <laughs> air to continue because he's wearing a coat to cover his fat roll. But that's okay because I'm, <laughs> I'm losing weight. I'm losing it. I just, it's my thyroid been acting up. I've mean, got a thyroid problem. I'm big boned is what the problem is. <laughs> little boy told me, he said, no, dinosaurs are big boned. You are fat. <laughs> hey, where's your mama? Daddy. All right. Great sorrow. It says in verse 5 that, that when the boys died, this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Great dilemma. She's thinking of going back home. Should I take my daughters with me? Should I leave them here? Great decisions cause that stress too. And then great tearings. It said that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law Naomi, goodbye. She told them both, she said, look, it's not right for you to go back to Bethlehem with me. By the time, if I ever married and had children, you're not going to wait for them. Just go back and see this in its context. All she had in the world was Orpah and Ruth. She'd already buried her husband and two sons. So she has this tearing to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And it looks on the surface. That's why you got to be very careful that you don't make decisions based on surface observations. It looks like she was doing the correct thing, but she wasn't. She said, go back to your people and your gods. G-O-D-S. If they turn back to Moab, they would have no Jehovah influence in Bethlehem. Bitter people rarely make spiritual decisions. They're trying to do the best they can. I'm not making light of her. 
But she couldn't even, she was trying to see, they, they deal with natural reasonings because the hurts are natural. And we have to live in the spirit. When a root of bitterness comes up, it's not important. The, the important thing is not diagnosing where it came from. The important thing is standing in your union with Jesus Christ, with the realization that I am in him and he is in me and he is not bitter. Let the sap flow of your peace, joy, into my life. Bitterness is, you don't just change it. You plant more stuff around it and it outgrows it. Good memories, good thoughts, good words, good deeds, years. Sometimes it takes years to grow out another crop. But God has the power to do such. Let's look very quickly, number two, how her bitterness expressed itself. This is what bitterness looks like. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is to give you some examples how it may show up in your life and how it did in uh, Naomi's. She inaccurately compared herself with others. Things are far more bitter for me than you, it says in verse 13. Things are far worse for me. Bitter people love to compare themselves inaccurately to other people. Bitter people, no one's spouse ever left them like my spouse left me. No one's been ever been cheated on like I was cheated on. No one's ever loved a child like I loved a child and lost a child. And I'm, please, I'm not minimizing it, but this is a symptom. The truth is, if she'd have been honest, she said, there are mothers that I know that never even had a husband. There are mothers that never had the joy of bringing a boy into this world. There are people that have never, never, see, we don't compare ourselves to those that had it worse. We look for the ones and then we say, you, the Lord has dealt way more bitterly with me than you. Kelly and I, you know how when you're married, you have these little things you do and little phrases. We say the more. Kelly will say, yeah, man, my back hurts. I said, I got 22 stitches in mine. I got some poles and rods in mine. She goes, you're the more. You're, you're the more. Yeah. Never told me that about the being, us being crazy, though. You know, you're the more. Uh, <laughs> bitter people honestly think that theirs is the more. And you know what the Bible says? This is a hard scripture. You ready? Everything that you've dealt with, your struggles, your loss, is common to man. Kind of takes the martyrdom out of it, doesn't it? As horrible as it is, you don't know what's happened to me. There is someone close by that got the cards that you were dealt and built a life out of it. Doesn't mean it was easy and it doesn't mean that you were done right. It means that we have to look at these symptoms like high blood pressure points to other things. When you're always comparing yourself to someone who has it better than you instead of someone that has it worse than you, that's a symptom. That's good. See, this is like a counseling session. They just come on in the office. Sit up, put your feet up a little bit. She was brazenly and ignorantly blaming God. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It's like the heathen. An act of God is an earthquake, a tornado, a hurricane. Those are acts of God. Not the birth of a child, not finding love, not 
have, not, just, not just having employment, but having the capacity that God gave you the intellect and the capacity to get that degree. Thanking God for... We, bitter people can clearly articulate what they blame God for and are slow, if ever, to articulate all that God has given and done for them. One of the greatest turning points for me in perspective, it's kind of like a pillar that perspective sits on, if you will, is I had to come to grips with the, with the idea, and I know the Holy Spirit gave it to me. He said, John, do you deserve hell? Oh, yes. That's our theology, you know. Born, depraved, separated from God, separated from Jesus, the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope and without God in this present world. Yes, I deserve hell. Then how could you deserve better? What would happen? What would happen to the way you think? Now, does a child deserve abuse? Absolutely not. I'm not, don't twist what I'm saying. Does a woman deserve an unfaithful husband? No. Does a man deserve an unfaithful wife? No. Do, do we deserve having a child die in, in, in the NICU? No. Having said that, if I deserve hell, how could I deserve better? Just that perspective lets me know and gives me the opportunity instead of blaming God for that which was harmful or hurtful. I understand, instead of asking the question, how could God let that happen? What if I flooded my life with, how could, God, how could God be so good to let Kelly happen to me? How could God let Olivia and Isabel and Elisha happen to me? How could God give me a church family that's been better to me than I've been to myself? How, how could, see when you fill those blanks in, you'll see that that scale tips far greater. And yes, the losses are there. Yes, the sorrows are there. The tragedies are there. But God has been good to us. God is gracious. And for the promise to all of us that have suffered relentlessly, systematically, strategically, and over long periods of time, he said, there's a day coming, I'm going to wipe the tears away from your eyes. And you'll never know sorrow one more time. You will never experience crying nor pain for the former things have passed away and he will in one decree make everything new and we will lose the capacity to feel sorrow. I wonder what would happen to your bitterness if you could as clearly articulate your undeserved blessings as you can clearly articulate your undeserved pain. Do you remember that some of us with white hair, y'all remember that little song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? Count Your Blessings, See What God Has Done. Count Your Blessings. You remember? Name Them One by One. Y'all remember? It's not my key, but I can make it work. Uh, you know why we don't do that anymore? Because you'd never get up from the desk. When I think about the Lord and what he's done for me, the list goes on and on and on and on. And here's, here's the truth. Life is hard and it's unfair but God has given me more than I've ever deserved. And when I go home, 
He's going to take care of the sorrows. So what's at stake here? Your journey. Your testimony. Your countenance. Your words. How can you represent a gracious God with a bitter heart? We've got to learn how to be sick gracefully. We have to learn how to cry gracefully. We have to, that way we can comfort one another with the comfort whereby we've been comforted of God. I'm good with little boys that don't have a daddy. I'm good. I'm good with children making them feel seen because I never was watched. Because when my dad died, now of course my mom was there, but as a boy you wanted your dad. I, I know how to make them be seen and recognized. And words of affirmation. There is not a day that goes by where I don't tell my boy how smart he is and how proud I am of him. And I wouldn't swap him for a million words. Elisha, you're so much smarter than your daddy when I was six. He's driving a gator at six. I drove a big wheel. You know what I'm saying? Any men down here, see these women don't understand, drove down a hill, a half a mile hill on a big wheel and left half your body. <laughs> and especially if you had a notch missing on the big wheel. The girls are like, what is he talking about? Ask your husband, he'll tell you. This is very important. We're getting close to the finish here. How did her bitterness express itself? She pushed away those who genuinely loved her. She told Ruth, Orpah has gone back. You should do the same. She was pushing people away from herself. Why do bitter people unconsciously and consciously push away people that love them? Because if they let someone love them, then they owe them love back and they do not have any love to give because they are bitter. I'll say that again. If bitter people let someone truly love them, then they owe them love back. And because they do not have any love to give back, they push them away. She was unmoved and unresponsive to true love being offered to her. Here's what Ruth said. She, she told Ruth, go back to your people. She said, uh, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there be buried. She was unable to see or appreciate or reciprocate the love and affection of Ruth. Why didn't she break forth in gratitude and say, I may have lost much, but I thank God for you. I thank God for you, Ruth. Thank God for Mama Sheila and Hub and Stacy and others that surrounded me, Leslie and friends of ours, that in my darkest hour, they were Ruth to me. Some even told me later I had to distance myself because I, I saw you hurting so bad. And I just, I just couldn't, but they sat with me in the ashes and they said, where you go, I'll go. If you stay up at night, I'll stay up. If you're sleepless, I'll be sleepless. If you're fasting, I'll fast. If you hurt, I'm going to hurt. We need to thank God for the roots in our life that give buoyancy to us in the worst of times and never forget them. Why couldn't she see Ruth? Because bitter people are blind to goodness around them. All that they see is what they've known and where they hurt, which is legitimate. 
but it's not all they are. Ruth was the answer to her pain. Why couldn't she have, when she heard that phrase, why couldn't she have said, my husband never said words like that to me. My boys, you're, you're going to be better to me than seven sons. And although my heart is still wounded and bleeding, God has given me you. Bitterness not only robs you of your testimony, it robs you for the miracles along the way. Because you can't see them. You don't know them. You can't appreciate them. And you can't reciprocate them. How many of you were in a broken home? And rightfully so. And I keep saying that word over and over. I'm not taking shots at people. I'm, I'm trying to use the context of this. Where the spouse was either buried or left. And the other spouse grieved for the one that either died or left so much. And you as a child was feeling like, well, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. There are people in your life that aren't being loved because you can't see them. You can't see them. And it's okay to be sorrowful. What would happen to that little boy or that little girl that while you're sorrowful, you say, okay, y'all come and get in bed with mama. Come here. Mama is sad today. You know, we buried Papa here. Mama's sad today. But I just figured if I could have my little girl and my little boy with me, that that would make me all the better. Do you see? Bitterness robs you. It robs you of opportunity. It robs you of capacity. The, the capacity to enjoy things. Bitter people fake a lot. Somebody tell a joke. <laughs> is anything worse than a fake laugh? If I'm funny, laugh. That's just it. Just laugh. Just to, uh, Either it wasn't funny or you don't have capacity. Right? I mean, bitter people can't laugh. They can't truly enjoy. Listen, they like, if they come to church, now not everybody does this is bitter, but bitter people do this. They want to come late and leave early because I don't have nothing to give you. I just get my Jesus on the television. Gotcha. You know why that's more appealing to you? Because sitting at your home receiving doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to listen to a hurting person. You don't have to pray with a grieving person. You don't have to disciple a newfound person. You just come and get yours and turn off your TV. What a small soul. Well, you just lost two people tuning in now. <clears throat> The question would be, what did we lose? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Truth has set you free, right? Okay. I can't get my church off television because you're it. And in this lifetime, you're the closest I'll ever get to Jesus. Your boy, his boy, his girls. And it's a joy to come and celebrate and do life with you. If our musician would come, please. To those Ruths out there, just know this, that one day, according to this story, it'll happen for many of you, Naomi will open her eyes and see how valuable you are and were. It's really wonderful when you're the answer to someone's pain. It's really wonderful. I wonder if you're ever more like Jesus 
than when you're the answer to someone's pain. Finally, a symptom of her bitterness and she was unable to see the hand of God. Did you see it in verse 17? If you have your Bibles open, just look. And if we still have the words on the screen, if you, if you have them. Did you see, what does yours say in verse 17, part B? May the Lord, what? Y'all see it? Is it on the screen? May the Lord, watch. May the Lord, the Lord. Who's speaking? Ruth, the Moabitess. May the Lord. What? Naomi, I'm changing. Even though you're bitter, I'm changing. The stories of Jehovah, the personal God. The story of God's provision. The story of God's power. The story of God. May the Lord. Her faith is coming alive and Naomi can't even see it. See, bitter people are blind. Their pain has blinded them to the hand of God working. Watch, watch, watch. And if you are close enough to see the hand of God working in one life, you are in the same proximity for Him to work in. <laughs> Do you see? Man, that's why when your prayer's answered, carnal Christians will go, <clears throat> I've been praying for two years. I ain't prayed but two weeks. You know what I think? Honestly, because I've grew up. My God, if I'm close enough to see the glory of God in your life, then I'm close enough for it to happen right here. On me, in me, for me. She couldn't see God in their pr preservation. Unemployable. And was able to sustain her family for 10 years. Her protection. As they travel from Moab back to Bethlehem. No man. Just a woman and Ruth. How many angels kept at bay those that would rob and pilfer and rape and plunder them? She couldn't see it. Couldn't see the faithfulness of God in providing bread for the people that awaited her. Couldn't see the stirring of her heart turning it back home. She was close to the healing properties of spiritual community. It said when they got to the gate, everybody screamed, Naomi, is it you? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Why didn't she scream out, yes, it's me. Hold me. Pray for me. Help me. And fall in their arms. I need you because bitterness creates proud people. I have to stand straight and tell you what has happened. Instead of, I need you. I need you. They don't want to be part of community. Because the devil knows, and they don't know, that healing happens in community. Healing happens in community. Bitter people will allow you to feel sorry for them before they'll let your love heal them. You could tell it in her words, her pace, her tone, her countenance, her posture, and how she spoke of God. The Lord has raised his hand against me. The Lord is fighting against me. Two questions for you. The question for you is not how did you become bitter, but why are you willing to stay that way? And the most important thing is not 
the how, but what has made you willing to keep it? You can tell in her words what had happened. The same thing that killed Elimelech was killing her. She was changing her name. He changed his name from the Lord is my king to I am my own king. And she was changing her name. Here's where you know it. She said, I went out full, but God has brought me back empty. Watch. I, we, my husband and I, we created the fullness. God created the emptiness. She was abandoning the king that governed her life. Taking credit for the good, blaming God for the bad. And did not even see God working. I hope, if you'll give me just two more minutes, this is critical to, to grasp. Did you know the Lord even works in your rebellion? It was hidden in there. Did you see it? I went out full, but the Lord has brought me empty. What did he do? Well, he's brought me back. Empty. No. What did he do? He's brought me back to the place of promise, to the place of provision, to the place where his name dwells, to the place where he is active. He is powerful. He is a miracle worker. The Lord has brought me back. And in just a few chapters, her life is going to change so dramatically that anyone that knows her would come to recognize she might have been pleasant before, but she was giddy by the time God was done with her. This message is me telling you the Lord is bringing you back. Stop focusing on your present condition. And start looking at your future possibilities because anything is possible with the Lord. Y'all stand with me this morning. Right before Pastor Wade comes, I'm going to tell you just a quick story. One of our ushers, would you just tell Children's Church, th three, four minutes, we'll be done. This is just for those of you that are new here. I had a period of time in my life where uh, I had not laughed for years. I wasn't bitter. I was wounded. I, wa I wasn't bitter. I just, but I'm, the impossibility is my point. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental, financial, the impossibility. God loves vacuums. Where you can't do anything. And I told the Lord, I said, you know, over many different prayers, you're all, you're all I have. This is it. This is it. And he whispered, he said, you're going to laugh again. Save your ashes. Now, I know the context of beauty for ashes. It's speaking of Repentance. And he changes our repentance and the joy. I understand that. But it's not all it means. There are many times where that which is burnt up, which means I can't enjoy it anymore, it's gone. Save your ashes. And in my mind's eye, I saw myself raking up a failed marriage, failure as a man, 
and as a husband and all these, I'm bagging up all this stuff and I brought it to him. Uh, hopes, dreams, how life should have been. I brought it before him. You know what I'm gonna do with these? What? For every ash, I'm gonna give you beauty. And don't get it confused, John. I'm not doing it because you're good. I'm doing it because I'm good. And he gave me a vision. He, a, a vision, yeah, just like a picture. I saw a burnover field. It was about 40 acres. That's what I always described it, you know, the back 40. A burnover field. And it wasn't smoldering, but it had just stopped smoldering. It was freshly burned. And in the corner, one corner of the property, there was a Victorian house with a wraparound porch. And there were uh, flower pots hanging, just wild colors, beautiful, vibrant colors hanging off. And I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, this is your life. Everything's gone, John. See, I wasn't exaggerating. Everything was gone. Even the will to live. He said, but I'm going to do something very beautiful for you. And I'm not going to erase your history. I'm going to build you something right on top of it. And God granted me a beautiful wife. Three babies. I laugh every day of my life. Life is not about what happens to you. It's who's for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Before Wade dismisses us. You got to lance this thing, man. You got to lance this thing. And repentance is the squeezing of it. And I'm, I'm trying to be graphic. It is acidic. It's troubling you and poisoning other people. Get it out. Hydrogen peroxide, bleach, whatever you got to do. Get it out. And ask the Lord. Lord, I'm not asking you for easy life. But I'm asking you for freedom. Liberty from this bitterness. Walk away from it. In Jesus' name, walk away from it. Yes, it happened, but there's more to you than what happened. Let God put you a house right on top of the burnover field. Let God do that for you. He can. Let that get in your spirit. He can. Wait as you come, I want to tell you. Look this way. We're about to dismiss in prayer. What I didn't tell you, the joke was on me. As Kelly and I, we moved four times in our first four years of marriage. You know, mother-in-law apartment, uh, Lake Wildwood. We were in Bloomfield by the sea for a while. And we went, we went to Brookfield. And we moved out in Forsyth, which I said I'd never live out that way. And we moved to 52 acres. And our house is close to a corner. And I wake up to the sound of laughter and joy and my children. And he has given me beauty for ashes. Ain't no time to be bitter, man. God is good. What a beautiful story of God's mercy, amen. He's good. His word is true and rich, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a beautiful, rich word this morning. God, in a reminder to look to you, the author, the finisher of our faith. God, that the, though the valley may look deep and the darkness may come for the night, that there's joy that comes in the morning and the sun will rise and your mercy will be new. God, thank you for that reminder and that word today. 
God, thank you for our spirits that have been revived and insured today in in your security, in your goodness, in your righteousness, and not our situation. So I pray today over this group of people today that we would go forth in your liberty. I pray that we would go forth in the newness of your mercy. I pray that we would go forth in the reminders of what you've yet to do in our lives. God, help us to see our roots. Help us to see those to set around about us, to strengthen us, to, to help us last the journey. May God, would you cover us with your wings, cover us to surround us with your glory. But let us see, God. Let us see the goodness of our God in the land of the living. That we would see the goodness of you. Open our eyes, I pray. Open our eyes that we would see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remind you tonight from 6.30 to 7.30. No, 6 to 7. If you'll become 6 to 7 tonight for a special time of worship and prayer.